Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I'm Andrew, an autistic certified financial planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, Andrew. Hey, everyone. I'm Eileen Lamb. And in this podcast, we want to highlight real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but real people talking about their boring life. Basically, we want to give a voice to people like us. And today, our guest is Rebecca Ali. Uh, Becca graduated college in 2016 with her lifelong dream degree of marine biology. Nine months and two internships later, she realized the path wasn't for her. Lost, she joined a prominent fast food chain as a delivery driver and began working her way up through the ranks of the store. She found she couldn't get a high-paying job in corporate America due to stigma against fast food workers and behavioral quirks she exhibits. Finally, at 23, she received her diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and was able to join a large financial institution through their neurodiversity program as a project management officer. Hi, Becca. Hi. Thanks for joining us. And one of the questions that we always like to start with are uh, pronouns and identity questions. So whether that's uh, person first, um, or identity first person with autism, an autistic person. Um, what is your preference? So I prefer identity first, so autistic person, and then pronouns, she, her, for now. <laughs> May change in the future, but for now it is, I'm still going by she, her. So our first guest ever was uh, Tara Cunningham, who was the CEO of Specialist Storna USA. Uh, and I believe you're the first person we have interviewed who's disclosed getting a job through a neurodiversity at work program. Can you tell me what that process was like and how it was different from other interviews? So it was a bit of a weird situation because I actually didn't even apply to this program at all. Um, I applied to a different company altogether and through to their neurodiversity program. And I got an interview and they loved me, but I didn't have the qualifications that um, they needed, like the actual coding qualifications, which is I, I have them now, but I didn't at the time. Um, but they so they instead of just dropping me from the process referred me to the link it program which is a north carolina-based internship program run out of uh, north carolina business committee for education um and they referred me they're like they work with companies in the triangle north carolina area so the raleigh durham chapel hill research triangle park area to place autistic individuals in um, meaningful employment, starting out as an, in an internship. And the internship is initially, oh, how long is it initially? I think it's six, I would have to look it up. I don't even remember. So I was an, an intern from May until October. So whatever in 2019, the amount of time between May and October is the length of the internship. Um, I think it, the initial internship is 12 weeks and then you can be extended to 24 weeks. And, um, so when I first went in, I didn't actually know what the company did or was, I showed up because I was told to, but I kind of thought to be perfectly honest that it was a scam because I worked for now, I, the company that I work for is a large cor international corporation and I was a fast food worker. So I didn't, I'd never heard of them. And 
the website looked legit, which of course now I know they're a Fortune 500 company. So of course their website is legit. But as a minimum wage worker, I had no idea what anything they were talking about was. So I showed up and the questions were very experience-based, which I liked a lot. There wasn't any like what would first off they they knew my background going into it that I didn't have the background in these positions because they were made aware of that to begin with the person who pulled my my resume from um after I was recommended to the company was actually a fast food worker himself and he saw that I was in fast food management and so he knew the skills were transferable but he did tell everybody ahead of time that I was not going to have any practical knowledge um so they interviewed me off of like what work experience do you have what do you like about your current job what do you not like about your current job stuff like that and it was just I didn't have to make what for first off one of my favorite stories coming into it is as I was walking in the door my shoes actually fell apart um, and I didn't have spare shoes. So I did all of the interviews that day in socks and nobody judged me. They, nobody actually even mentioned it. I'm, I, my boss did tell me later that she knew she just wasn't mentioning it because she had been warned ahead of time that my shoes had fallen apart. Um, and they, um, I had five interviews that day and I got four out of the five positions with the fifth position I didn't have the qualifications once again but I they emailed me later and was like which position do you actually want and I chose my current position so yeah that turned out good for you <laughs> what uh did. do you think that uh this um these opportunities would be available to you if you didn't have uh, a professional diagnosis of autism and a uh, in which other way do you think the professional diagnosis has helped you? So the professional diagnosis helped me mainly because I was able to explain some of the behaviors that I have. Like I struggle with eye contact and a lot of people dismiss that as a lack of self-esteem. And there was a period of time where I had a lack of self-esteem, but I've struggled with eye contact my whole life. And I've also um, struggled with maintaining one subject. Uh, I do bounce a lot, around a lot. Um, and think a lot of interviews require a personality aspect for you to go in and really get along with the people in order to move to the next round. And I'm not always the most, especially in high, um, pressure situations. I'm not always the most outgoing and I don't have the most relatable sense of humor and I don't always get jokes and that has always worked against me. Whereas now with a di autism diagnosis, people expect all of that from me and they don't judge me on that. And then instead they focus on my experiences, quali and the qualifications I now have and the um, benefits that I can bring without so much stress on me fitting in culturally. So when people ask me for career advice, which is actually not uncommon. I always say it's not just what you like to do, uh, but also why you love to do it. And what was it about marine biology that made you no longer want to pursue that as a career? 
So I had a very bad experience in my second internship in the summer of 2016. So the first internship was fine. The second internship was horrible. I was treated terribly. And at the time I didn't have an autism diagnosis. So I wasn't able to give them a reason for some of the things that they were really, really judging me on, like the tone of my voice. Um, And it it became very, very toxic. I was living and working with the same people. I didn't get along with them at all. And I didn't really have any friends because it was outside of them because it was Costa Rica and we were in a small village where I barely spoke Spanish and they didn't speak English. So um, I had nowhere to go. And it ultimately destroyed my passion for a very long time. Um, It was that so toxic that I I didn't, it destroyed my self-esteem, it destroyed my passion. I decided it was not something I could do. And I didn't know where to go from there. So I ended up turning to um, fast food because I had originally worked in um, this company before for a summer job while I was in a different internship. Um, And in 2015, and I really liked the environment that I had worked in, in that, uh, store. So I decided to go back to, um, that franchise. Well, not, it was a different franchise, but the same, um, umbrella company. And I ended up staying there for three years. And then after a while, I just sort of got to know more about the income threshold and really understanding money to be perfectly honest because I I grew up very privileged and I I never really had to worry about money um that was always the worry of my parents and I just got money when I needed it um but as I moved into paying my own bills and seeing the limitations that not having money can bring and I got more of an idea of what marine science actually pays um it is hard so it I didn't want a life where I had to go back to school and get a PhD to make a living. And even then it would be a, it would be a tough living unless I got involved in a university and was a tenure track professor, but to do just the type of research I wanted to do very grant-based, um, very low pay. So. Do you think that your experience would have been different and right now you'd be a low paid grant-based marine biologist if you had your autism diagnosis earlier in life what would have been different if you had gone into the second internship with your diagnosis that's a interesting question because the people on that second internship were so cruel I don't know it would have been any different um I, I, I don't know the answer to that because it was actually the second internship that led to my diagnosis because I was fired from that internship and the list of um the termination letter just read as a list of autism symptoms. It was almost like they went into the DSM, whatever number we're on, copy and pasted, um, which of course that was not the case, but it was, it, it ended up triggering my therapist to recommend for me to get the diagnosis that I got. So they recommended the assessment based on that. What was the assessment like for you? It was, it was something, um, considering that I was 23 at the time. I mean, they handed me a picture book 
uh, was one of the tests. And they were like, tell us a picture, tell us a story with these pictures. And I was like looking at these pictures and one, it featured a child. It featured a young boy, a very young boy. And I was like, and 23. And another time they were like, was it the one where he had a dream. I don't know what, I don't know no. what it was. Like, I know like I, I it, that would be very fitting, but at the time I was like, these pictures make no sense. They have no <laughs> cohesity and there's also a child in it and I'm 23. So it's very possible that it was a dream. Although I did not make the connection that it was a dream at the time. At the time I had no idea what was going on in those pictures. Um, another time they were like, another test was they handed me like a ball and a string and a feather and told me to tell a story with the toys. And I'm like, I'm 23, 23. Uh, and I asked for an example and they were like, well, this ball is a person riding on this feather, which is actually a plane. I'm like, but it's not though. It's, it's a feather and it's a ball. Um, and they were like, and they used like the string as like the seatbelt. And I was just like, no, that's not a thing. And that was, I do agree that I am autistic. I, I do fully agree that I, the assessment was correct, but I don't agree with the assessment being realistic because all of those things counted against me towards autism because they were like, you're a very literal thinker. And I'm like, no, I'm an adult. <laughs> like I'm not a child. <laughs> so while I fit the experiences and symptoms, I feel like the the assessment definitely needs to mature with the age group they were assessing. And yes, that was a cat. <laughs> Did they have you take the the ink test, the rusher? Is that what it's called? No, they didn't. No, they, they did it for me. She said, you know, it's you know, there's no like uh, real studies about it, but she was just curious uh, where uh, Rorschach. That would fall. Yeah, you know Rorschach. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because she said at the end that you know the few studies have done about it. My res my answers to that, the ink test actually matched the other autistic people. Uh, it was like that. I didn't see as many. Face, uh, faces as they actually were in those inks. Like I would see like animals or objects instead of people in the ink. Anyway, it was interesting. But again, I feel like it's like the ball and the feather. It doesn't seem very... Yeah, insane. it's just not for our age range. But like if, if you're you, going to be assessing people, like you need to assess them at their level. If you were 10 years old and you had been asked the same question, would you have answered them differently or would you have answered it the same? Well, I'd probably answer it the same at 10 as I did as an adult. It would feel more fitting to as a 10-year-old than, like, as an adult, I felt really talked kind of down to. Um, and, like, my maturity didn't fit what I was being asked to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. When you mentioned, you know, the thing about the child, I thought you meant it because well, you're an adult, so how are you supposed to, like, relate to, like, the child in the story? For mm -hmm. instance? I saw that in, in that sense that, that you meant it, not as if, uh, you know, they were asking you to do something that was, like, above, above your age, just that it would have been easier for you to relate to someone who's, like, a 23-year-old girl like you. Uh, yeah. Child. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, like, expect to have a picture book written for me, specific, or, like, uh, this particular, for every age group, I should say. But like the activity itself was a little, I don't want to go as far as saying degrading, but I can't think of a different word right now. Um, just not fitting to my age and maturity.
So you're uh, passionate about talking about why hiring uh, neurodiverse uh, candidates is not charity uh, and mm-hmm. support for business. Yet at the same time, you admit that uh, you have struggle and autism is not a superpower. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Well, so like everybody has their own struggles, right? So like just like hiring a parent of small children isn't is something that sometimes needs to be worked around. I mean, there's events after at, at where you have to like, I don't have any children, but there's events that you have to go to during working hours to support your children. You have um, to leave at a certain time to, to go pick up your children. Um, I think every, almost every demographic has their own needs and autism should be treated just like a different demographic with its own needs. Those needs aren't special. They're just a different demographic that needs the same care and accommodation as demographics that we consider and accommodate without any second thoughts today. How about uh, people who are on the more severe end of the spectrum? you know, like no, I feel like no amount of accommodations will like allow someone who has severe autism with like no way of communicating, whether that's verbal or not, and you know, issues, cognitive issues, like no amount of uh, accommodation is going to help these autistic people get get a job. Um, what what can we do about that? Well, there needs to be social supports in place. Like my um, younger brother will most likely never live alone. And I, and, and my friend is in a very similar situation where her brother will never have a job and will never live alone. He's, he hasn't spoken since he was very, very young. Um, and there, there isn't supports in place that for situations like that. And while I, I hate to think about it because my parents are involved in this is my parents grow old and they die. And then what happens? And I am in Judaism Uh, I'm Jewish. Um, Every life has intrinsic value. And just because somebody can't have a job doesn't mean they shouldn't be supported or taken care of or they should be cast aside just because they can't have a job or even if they don't want to for whatever reason. And I do think there needs to be systems in place to help support adults when their parents can no longer advocate for them and they are not in a place where they can advocate for themselves or understand what is going on around them. So speaking of Judaism, Mm -hmm. um, you just had something very exciting happen this weekend. Um, Can you tell us more about that? So I had my adult bat mitzvah at 28 years old. So bat mitzvah is typically held for um, girls as they turn 12 and boys as they turn 13. Um, And they, I have been studying for two years to learn to read Hebrew. And I stood up in front of the whole synagogue and all my friends and part of my family and read from from the Torah. And I led a prayer um, for the congregation. And then I had a small speech that I had to give, but it's like a really monumental time in uh, a Jewish adult's life. It it marks the transition from Jewish childhood to Jewish adulthood, but also when a person can become responsible for their own Judaism. Um, And that's kind of how I read it 
today is now I am responsible for continuing one first off the fact that I was reading from thousands of years the same um portion that people have read for thousands and thousands of years five thousand years and reading the same prayer that have been spoken by Jews for thousands of years it was just so meaningful to me <laughs> I just get really touched by knowing a part of this such an old culture and system of beliefs why did you uh, have it as an adult then instead of uh, as a child so my mom is Jewish, but my dad is Christian and my mom just sort of didn't care. So my dad raised me in the Methodist church and I didn't have a bat mitzvah when I was a child. Um, Jew- Judaism is passed down through the mother. So I am Jewish by biology because my mother is Jewish and her mother is Jewish and so on and so forth and forever. Um, so I didn't have to convert, but I wanted to do something to mark my transition to Judaism. And I thought this would be very fitting when I found it. Um, it was, it's a program, a, a system of classes that last two years through my temple. Um, and when I found it, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do to mark the fact that I am Jewish and not Methodist. Thank you. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so there is bad and good with everything. Yes. And I want to know what makes you great at what you do, uh, you know, at, at work and give us an example. And also t- tell us a time when your autism and ended up making it harder at work. And uh, did your employer do anything to support you? Or Yeah. So I'll start with good. So because um, good is easier. Um, so I am I don't want to say that, like, I'm more creative but there's definitely something in my mind that works a little bit differently than other people I don't really and this goes both ways and will be the emphasis between both the good and the bad Uh, I don't really believe in any amount of status quo so I have on more than one occasion um created solutions to pain points that have persisted for years before I have joined before I joined Um, and that was because they were also my pain points and I didn't want to deal with them. So I solved them. Whereas like, I don't know, I don't know how the neurotypical mind works, but I just know that people had been annoyed, but still doing it. Whereas I was annoyed. And so I made it go away. Um, and some of the systems that I introduced is we were having to do a lot of formatting and data analysis in Excel by hand, where we would have to insert certain equations and drag and drop and all and copy and paste and all this stuff. And I introduced a macro that did all of that. And then I even went beyond that. And I have introduced a macro that will um, draft emails based on the data analysis and formatting. So it pulls data from the data analysis and creates personalized emails and addresses it to the correct person if they fit certain criteria. And the messaging changes based on five different criteria that they could make, they could meet. Um, and that amounted to over, a th- with all my solutions put together, I sent out to all my users a time-saved Uh, time saves uh, estimate um, so that I could include it in my performance review. And I've cut over a thousand hours of repetitious work in 2021 alone. And I'm about to do the same thing for 2022. And I'll see how that has grown um, for my media review. So we'll see how that goes. Um, So I'm not saying that people 
neurotypical people are not creative or lazy by any means. I just, I feel like they tolerate more BS. Um, can I say that on this show? Can bullshit. I say that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Bullshit. They tolerate more bullshit. And I just have very little patience for bullshit. So I eliminated the bullshit. Um, and then, but at the same time, like the same thing has gotten me into trouble where I haven't followed the chain of command before. And some people are just sort of okay with that. And some people are not. Um, It really just depends on the person. And situations have arisen where people haven't really liked that I have asked them certain things or brought up certain things in certain contexts. Like I'll sometimes bring up, like I'll get a message from my boss is really trying to prevent me from talking about like pain points for the team in front of clients is a big, is a big one for me. Um, that I have trouble with because I also work for a, I also work for a big financial institution, uh, and I've worked for other big ones before. And, um, I've also been told that even if somebody is grossly incompetent, you should not tell them that, right. That, that that does not, they don't appreciate that. Um, no, but I, yes, the, the big financial institutions in particular are very much, well, it was always done this way. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it was. I, I can relate to that a lot because it was, but why, why is it done this way? Right. And that can be hard, especially for like such a, you know, a regulatory type organization where it's very complicated. Sometimes there's a good reason and just nobody knows. Mm -hmm. I find it about 50, 50 with there actually being a good reason or not. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, completely you know understand the the both sides with that yeah I once noticed I was in a big meeting and there was they noticed a logic error in some a report they were showing and I could see the issue with the code because the code was in the excel bar above it was just query um and so I came online and I told them like here's where the typo is and our, it was a client call and they were, my boss wasn't the most thrilled with that, but, and he was just like, yeah, so in the future, just, just take that kind of thing offline. Like, I'm really glad you can see the typo, but like, you should definitely just not mention that in front of the clients and just let it go. <laughs> Sounds like your boss is pretty supportive though. Well, he has a, uh, he has a close family member on the spectrum, so it would make sense. Uh, if, but yeah, he's great. I like him a lot. It's so weird that they wouldn't want you to say something during the meeting. Like, is it, it, it's the audience that's important. Um, there's the there's client. A, you don't want to look bad yeah, in front of you. You don't want to look bad in front of the client. You, you would look good because you found the typo. But but they might not have known there was a typo. Yeah, and I'm also oh. not. I'm and I'm also not the one who built the report. So the person who was building the report didn't look the best. Yeah, but you're helping. I know that's see, see Eileen, thank you I, this is my stop. this is exactly how I was thinking but no <laughs> that is my train of thought in a nutshell I was helping yeah. Eileen agrees with you go figure yeah thankful like I'm trying to you know they always say put yourself in the other person's shoes and like if I do that I would be thankful that someone told me about it See, that's how I live my life. And it doesn't always apparently work like that. Like in high school, I told a a friend that her haircut, her new haircut looked terrible. And I thought my train of thought was then she can go get her haircut fixed. She never (laughs) spoke to me again. She did not. She did not take it in those terms. Um, But oh, well. (laughs) 
Did she get the haircut fixed? I have no idea. She never spoke to me again. Well, I mean, you don't have to speak to somebody to see their haircut. You didn't see her run again. Um, well, oh. so we were in class, but I actually don't remember. I, I don't know if I just okay. didn't pay attention after <laughs> that point or it was just like too traumatic and I blocked it out, but I don't remember. So speaking of cool things, uh, well, it's not really cool, but it was funny. Uh, I heard that so you got invited to the governor's mansion. Yes. Can you tell us about that? And that's super cool. So um, it's part of the Lingit initiative. So um, the governor, it's a meeting for the North Carolina, oh my gosh, this is such a mouthful, North Carolina Committee, NCB, North Carolina Business Committee for Education, NCBCE. Um, I can never remember the order of the words. Um, and different people who came out of their different programs are going to talk about the programs and me and another person who came out of the Linkit program are going to talk about Linkit. But yes, it's really cool. Um, so I know what I'm going to say and I'm just going to read it and then try to make a beeline to not be the center of attention for very long because <laughs> it's stressful. <laughs> You can uh, read the Torah, which is like, yeah. <laughs> you got this, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, technically that, well, yeah, that's a good point. That's valid. That's valid. <laughs> it's in a different language and they took away my vowels. I had to memorize yeah. it. I had to memorize it with just consonants, which the idea that people can just do that is crazy to me. Granted, it's their language, but. That vowels get, are helpful. Vowels are very helpful. Yes. You should definitely include vowels in just everything. Yes. Um. So, uh, la last question for you. Um, well, or last, let's call it main question. Okay. Um, I've heard through the grapevine, pun intended, that you like plants. Um, what, <laughs> what, can <Do> you, <laughs> what can you tell me about carnivorous plants? Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. So carnivorous plants are native to about a 300 mile radius of Wilmington, North Carolina. And do you want to know what's kind of within a 300 mile radius? My balcony, because I, I have some. <laughs> I raise carnivorous plants on my balcony. Um, I have right now I have eight and a big tank. And then my tank is has been converted into sort of like a swamp environment. But I love carnivorous plants in particular because they I mean, they could have just died, right? They, the reason they developed this uh, evolutionary ability to eat like small animals and bugs is because their soil is so like nutrient nutrientless that it can't really support life. So rather than just migrating out like a lot of plants did in that area, they chose violence and they decided we're going to stay right here and just hold this ground. And they created this whole evolutionary um, ability so they could stay put. And then that's in North Carolina. How cool is that? That like North Carolina has such a cool because like North Carolina is just so boring. Like no offense to all the North Carolinians. I've been born, I was born, well, I was born in Finland, but I was raised in North Carolina. I've been in North Carolina my whole life. We have nothing, nothing entertaining except for maybe a couple deer, a lot of deer. But, and then like pitcher plants is also really funny because they'll have like piles and piles and piles and piles of bugs in them. And it's just like, they just, they just kind of stockpile. And, but anyways, and it's, 
real another thing that I like I find really um kind of cool about carnivorous plants is that they will die back in winter and they will go into hibernation and that is very important to their survival they have to rest to survive and so like I I see your face I can see that you're like (laughs) you're like oh gosh this is a tangent now but like they have to they have to rest to survive and if they don't have that rest period after a few years they'll just break down and die and I love that and I kind of live by that now where like rest is important to life and to sustaining life um and also winter if there was no winter which winter I know some people love winter I personally hate winter but I use it now to encourage myself to get through winter because I have seasonal affective seasonal affective disorder where that like winter is essential to the lives of what I love so yeah I, I love that like, as soon as you said it I was like well I mean kind of like us humans yeah. right? we need to rest to to survive and feel better um but I have a question do okay they bite? like can they bite like humans like that's the well, point it won't hurt, no. yeah no. It, like if you stick your if you stick your finger in a Venus flytrap's mouth it'll close but you just pull the finger back out it just will feel, feel like it? yeah no you won't feel it mm-hmm. and the venus the fly trap is bad in the wild most fly traps can close or open like a couple times um in an environment like i have they're not in their natural environment although it's pretty close so they're not the healthiest especially right now because they're all root bound and they need to be repotted but they can't until next winter um so that a lot of times traps will die after you aggravate them like that. So it's not the best to trigger them because it's a huge, uh, it's a huge amount, takes a huge amount of energy to move like that. Um, but yeah, so, and then pitcher plants don't close. They just are open and then bugs fall in and die. So yeah, yeah. so you can just stick your finger in and just pull it back out. But either way, they can't hurt, they can't hurt anybody. And pitcher plants are, pitcher plants, so the Venus flytrap is native to North Carolina. Pitcher plants can be found in various forms all over the world. Um, I'm actually not sure about the sundew, although I do have a sundew. Um, but I have, I have a singular sundew, and I have three or four flytraps, and then four pitcher plants. So how many is that? Nine? I don't know. But either, and one thing to always be... Um, cognizant of is when you're buying um fly traps and or any carnivorous plants is where they come from because poaching is a huge issue um and it's a huge threat to their survival like you can raise the you can raise uh fly traps i got my fly traps are from a guy who just breeds them in his backyard um yeah i had to drive 45 minutes to hillsborough don't you think that jessica our eighth wedding anniversary is coming up and I mean, who needs like silk and lace? I can get a Venus flytrap, right? <laughs> she would love it. That is such a cool present. For the I would, garden? I would, I would like it, but maybe it's yeah. not. We'll, we'll, we'll talk after. You'll, you'll help yeah. me uh, source some. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can definitely, I can yeah. definitely like hook you up. There we go. It's funny that you call that a breeder, like it's a sort of like animal or, you know. You no, well, like yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if like the, the correct word would be horticulturalist. Is that the correct word when it comes to plants? Sure. 
I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even sure what the correct word is, but it's just a guy who, who is a hobbyist, essentially. He's not in any way a professional. He just happens to have, grow Venus flytraps very well. And so he sells them. Well, where can people find you on social media if they want to learn more about carnivore, carnivore plants and autism and stuff? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn under the name Rebecca Alley. Um, and that's pretty much it. So I have other podcasts that are linked to my LinkedIn through, um, various platforms, but on social media, I pretty much just have, um, LinkedIn. I have Facebook, but it's like under a different name because I've had it since I was 12. It's not the most, I wasn't the most professionally oriented when I was 12. (laughs) You can hear a lot. There's a lot on there about how much I hated my mom at the time. So (laughs) I was that kind of child. Okay. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. These are the last. So I'm going to tell you, ask you a question and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. What is your favorite food or drink? Can you see? Uh, yeah. Oh, wait. Can, a two can, can, liter. Can. Yeah. This is, this is my two liter diet Pepsi that I keep on board with me because um, if I drank out of little bottles, I would go through them too quickly. So I just drink out of two liters. And I actually had to go see a cardiologist because my heart rate was too high. And he diagnosed me with, ca- with just my heart rate was too high because of the amount of caffeine I drank, which is why this is caffeine free. That's a good step in the right direction. Yes, it is. The the correct step in the right direction, though. Apparently, four liters of Diet Pepsi a day is dangerous. You shouldn't do that, according to my doctor. Um, so now I'm down to two liters of Diet Pepsi a day. My my record was six of Diet Coke in a day. I feel so much better. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Nobody else. Everybody is, like, shocked whenever I'm like, yeah, I drink four liters of Diet Pepsi. Or I drink. I drink a two liter a day. No problem. Yeah, like I'm just at a desk and I just keep going. And it's so delicious and wonderful. And Diet Coke, though, not Diet Pepsi. Sorry. Oh, no, gosh. No, 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 no. So I used to be a Diet Coke fan, but then I um, ended up. So when I was working at, in fast food, we had Diet Coke and cooler and we could just take it for 50% off. And so I was drinking it obsessively. And then one day I just didn't like it anymore. If you could be any animal, fictional or not. What, what would you choose and why? Cat. <laughs> yeah. <Obviously. laughs> yeah. A cat, because all they do is like, well, okay. So it depends on the situation, right? Cause like cats can actually have really hard lives. Like they, if they're not in a home, they are, they have, they have to face weather and everything, but like they, all my cats do is sleep and eat and other things. And then get to play and they have no cares in the world they know their food is going to go off two times a day and then they'll get wet food at night and they get all their um all their care taken care of and I want somebody to do that for me to just give me food when it give me my meals take me to the doctor whether I like it or not not have to pay for it I mean dream life right yeah so (laughs) no responsibility except to occasionally catch a cockroach Mm, I get those do the yeah. plants feed them? No, the, yeah. the cockroaches are bigger than the, most of the plants, but also the plants are outside so they can get their correct humidity levels and the correct temperature to stimulate their growth versus um, um, hibernation periods. What's your favorite? What's your uh, special interest? 
<laughs> carnivorous plants. <laughs> like you, you answered that with an answer. What's uh, your favorite artistic artistic representation in the media, whether that's fictional or not? I like love on the spectrum. Like it definitely has its issues, but I feel like his issues are more along the lines of like um, public uh, public reaction to it. Like for instance, Michael who is on Love on the Spectrum. Uh, a lot of, I saw a lot of articles and I actually wrote a post about this being like, oh, he's like a little teddy bear. I'm like, no, he's an adult man and you need to talk to him like an adult man. Um, he is an adult man who has dreams of getting married and treating his wife well. Like this is not, this is, that's not how you, he wants to be treated and you should not be treating him that way. At least that is from the depiction of him on the show, which of course it is a show. Um, mm -hmm. that is the feeling I got. Um, so that the infantilization of, um, by the pub media of the individuals in the show, I didn't particularly like, but I thought the show itself was relatively strong. I think they did a better job in season two and I haven't seen season three yet. Do you have a favorite quote or saying? And if so, who said it? I don't think so. I, I'm sure I'll think of it like the second that... Mm -hmm yeah I mean I like books but I don't tend to remember specific quotes I mean there's the Torah of course where it there's all it's all sorts sorts of quotable portions in the Torah my Torah portion was was spectacular I had more it's in Leviticus and Leviticus is just it's just Leviticus is the party I'm sure Andrew knows about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just... <laughs> yeah, Leviticus is <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great uh, talking to you. And I learned so much about plants, carnivore plants. And I'm actually really interested in it now. And I think I'm going to get one too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, enjoy with your Diet Pepsi. I will. Bye. It's going to be disgusting, but it's fine. <laughs> Bye-bye, guys. Have a good one.